Welcome to episode 39 of the Gunfunners Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law joining us again tonight. So thankful to have J-Law back on the program. Um, you know, sitting here August 15th, as we record this, it is smack dab in the middle of fall camp. Football season is upon us. The NFL preseason is wide ass open. Um, you've got Bama guys just showing out everywhere. Matt Jones looking good the other night. You know, Tua getting to play. Jalen Hurts, you know, Devonta Smith. Uh, Miller Forrestall catching a touchdown pass. I think I had like six people text me because they under they know that I had, uh, I guess you could say, frustrations with Miller Forrestall the last like three years because um, I did not think that he uh, <clears throat> that he should should have been getting the touches that he did and been in the route in the route formation as much as he was. But that's neither here nor there. He has graduated. He's playing with the Falcons, and you know I wish him well. Uh, well, hang on. It's the fact I don't even know who it was. I didn't even actually see the play. I just had like six people text me and say, oh, Miller Club, touchdown, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Alabama and Auburn host their first of three fall scrimmages uh, yesterday, uh, the Saturday, August the 14th. Um, let's, let's start over in Auburn because, you know, I, I, follow, I follow a good amount of Auburn media on, on Twitter, and you know, a lot of my friends are Auburn follows um, the J Boy Show. I think that's a, a, a Homer show. I think they do a good job of giving information around the SEC, but he's still Auburn based. But uh, what we hear over there is a lot of the same stuff with the quarterback situation. Offensive line is bad. Receivers are trash cans. Defense is, of course, an NFL defense, um, and maybe that's why the offense looked bad. So. J-Law, let's bring you in, man. Tell me, tell me what you're hearing. I know I sent you some screenshots so you can prep for this about the Auburn scrimmage. Let's start with the defense first. Is the, is the Auburn offense just so bad that it makes the defense look good? Because, you know, it's so hard to tell, especially in these first scrimmages. Because, you know, guys are going to be nervous. You might have some young guys out there. Um, so do you, do you think it's, a, it's a, a matter of Auburn's defense is being elite as a lot of people are leading us to believe, or do you think that, you know, the Auburn offense is that bad? Start with the defense and tell me what you think there. Well, I think the Auburn defense is going to be above average in the SEC. They're going to be probably the fifth or sixth best defense in the league. And they were last year. Listen, still a defense that didn't give up a lot of points last year. I think they finished fifth in the conference in points per game given up. They still played a bend, but don't break style last year that, like they always played under Gus Malzahn. But I, it's it, it's tough for me to believe that that defense is so good when I look across the ball, guys. And it's, it was last year maybe the most inept offense Gus Malzahn had at Auburn. That we had some bad years with Sean White, and Jeremy Johnson, and JF3, and all these guys were splitting time. But when I look at that Auburn defense, they're going to be okay across the defensive line they do have some experience coming back at the linebacker position although uh i didn't think their linebackers were great papo is there he's going to be a third year guy on campus i believe it's junior or senior but i look at the back end and everybody tells us about this about the back end of this auburn uh defense and the secondary and you know they're good but you know noah igbenography he's not there he's been going for two years and ever i mean like 
you, you hear about these past guys that have been in the Auburn secondary, and that's why they believe that this Auburn secondary would be good. While they trot out guys like Vidarius Knighton, who is playing, you know, D2 football, uh, FCS football, whatever it is. Uh, I, it's just tough for me to believe this Auburn defense is stellar when you look across the football. And Bo Nix still, to me, maybe the sixth, seventh best quarterback in the SEC. Tank Bigsby still good. But that offensive line at Auburn, guys, we know, unless we're probably going to talk about it, is not good. They have no receivers coming back. I think the the Auburn defense definitely has a head start as far as fall camp goes for Auburn. But I still don't think they're going to be this all-elite defense like people are making them out to be. They definitely got some seasoning back there in that secondary. You got Roger McCurry, who's a senior. Smoke is back. He's a senior as well. Nehemiah Pritchett, um, Donovan Kaufman, the Vanderbilt transfer. The, um, I think Cole Kublik had had him as one of his – top five breakout players in the SEC. But, I mean, of course he does, right? I think he's got an Auburn guy in just about every single list that he puts out. Um, so, I think I think the secondary has potential. You know, your linebackers with Owen Popo and, and Zacoby McClain, um, I think are solid. I think they're – you could you can make a, a case of them being number two or number three top inside linebackers in the SEC. Of course, number one is Alabama with Christian Harris and Henry, Henry Toto and – you know, Phil still had them as like the top two inside linebackers in the entire country. Um, but, uh, you know, as far as that number two or three slot, you know, I think you can make a, an argument that Popo and McLean might belong there. Uh, up front is where there's going to be so many question marks. You know, Tyrone Truesdale, nobody really knows what's going on with him. He leads the team. Um, and I guess he's in the transfer portal. I'm not really sure. Uh, you've got – Colby Wooden, um, you know, Derek Hall, T.D. Moultrie, there's, you know, Tony Fair, the graduate transfer from UAB. You've got bodies there. I just don't know how good they are, man. So that's going to be their, their issue. Um, that's going to be their, their soft spot is right there in the trenches. And we all know, man, in the SEC, if you're not good in the trenches, you're not going to be effective anywhere else. Lester, tell me what, have you been, what you've been hearing about this, this Auburn team coming out of this first scrimmage and give me your synopsis of it. Yeah, um, of course, you know, usually the defense – that goes for any team. Defense is usually ahead of the offense. But, you know, how good is that defense going to be when they're on the field for 80, 90 plays because the offense can't move the freaking ball? That's, that, that, that's, what, I'm, that's what I'm thinking about going – thinking about this Auburn defense. How good are they going to be when Bo, Bo Nix is in it when he's, you know, missing open, open guys when he's scrambling and, you know – here you go, three and out, or, you know, maybe get a first down. Okay, here comes the punt team. And defense is back on the field. Once again, how good are you going to be when it's the third quarter you've been on the field for 65 plays and you got a whole other quarter of football to go? What's going to happen to the uh, towards the end of that game? Is Auburn going to be in, you know, maybe have a three-point lead, four-point lead, maybe tie it onto the third quarter and the defense lets them down to the end? I, I I don't see how how the defense can be so great. You're just so great on paper, but when it comes down to it, this nut cutting time, this game time, and your offense can't give you a breather, then it don't matter. It doesn't. And we've seen that from the Alabama side against Clemson, what 2016. That defense on the field for 90, what 85, 90 plus plays. I mean, you're gassed. 
And I feel like that's a situation that Auburn's going to find themselves in uh, in a couple games uh, this year because offenses are going to be wide open against them. So that's going to be on them. A good point, man. And you're you're spot on about that Clemson game. That's, you know, Alabama could not convert on third down that game. Jalen, I think, was like 13 out of 31 passing. And, uh, you know, it, it really it really bit them in the fourth quarter, just like you were talking about. But uh, offense, for on the offensive side of the ball, J-Law, what, what do you do? If you're Mike Bobo, and, of course, I wasn't at the Auburn scrimmage. I don't know anybody who was. This is just stuff that you read. I, I, I'm prescribed to that on three site. Um, I took advantage of the, uh, the $10 per, for the first year. Um, so if, if and it's, it's a pretty, pretty informative website. So if, if you want to go, go to on3.com and, and subscribe today. And um, if you get the, the 10 for $10 for the first year, I, uh, I get access to any message board I want. I can only post to the team that I chose um, whenever I made my account, but I can read anything. And uh, I was sending you guys a lot of stuff. Uh, about the scrimmage and a lot of it was really bashing Bo Nix to be honest he he, he didn't they're saying he's doing the same thing he's, he's bailing out early um, he's not stepping up in the pocket when there is one might I add there's not one every time so I guess you still say the skittishness is still there um, he's throwing the ball up for grabs he's not making good decisions and then of course they're saying the same thing that we've heard for three years Bo, a couple of times, he, he worked the pocket, stepped up, and fired a strike downfield on time and on target. We know Bo can do that. He's got all the ability in the world. But J-Law, as a quarterback, or I mean, as, as an offensive coordinator, where do you go with this offense? Because they said that, you know, we just talked about how Auburn's defensive line is a soft spot in their defense. I don't think they're just atrocious, but they're definitely weaker than the linebacker and, and, and secondary group. And Auburn even struggled running the ball. That was something that they had success with last year. Their offensive line was a bunch of maulers, and they could still, you know, get positive yardage on the ground. It's just whenever they threw, they had no chance of pass blocking a four-man rush to save their life. So if they can't run the ball and you've got a skittish quarterback and then you've got Auburn's top three receivers are gone, Eli Stowe, Seth Williams, and Anthony Schwartz, they all leave for the draft. So – You've got a bunch of nobodies at receiver. Sorry, you got Demetrius Robinson coming over from Georgia. He's not great. It's his third school. He's like 29 years old. Uh, so as an offensive coordinator, what what do you do? What do you try to put in to, to try to get some W's? And to, like Lester was talking about, to try to keep your defense off the field. Well, they're going to have to try to ground and pound it because the more that the clock stops, the longer their defense is going to be out on the field, the, the longer the game gets. I think if you're Mike Bobo, man, in this offense, I think the offensive line is going to be well, well, well below average in the SEC. I think he's looking at it. If he's not yet already looking at it this way, he's going to have to, is that they're just going to have to make sure that there's not any mistakes made. They're going to have to run plays that aren't at risk for negative plays because if they get behind the sticks with Bo Nix in that offensive line, it, it's just going to be a nightmare. But they can't have penalties. Um, because we've already seen Bo Nix, he tried to force a couple balls in the Iron Bowl last year. I think two, the two interceptions in that game, they're just going to have to find a way to stay ahead of the sticks. And a lot of it's really, guys, it's not Bo Nix's fault. We watched a lot of Auburn football last year because we were in the state. The offensive line was just not great at pass blocking. And 
yeah, sometimes there is a pocket, but you guys play football. You know the quarterback, if you, you get used to getting hit and you, you have that mental clock. And I think for Bo Nix, especially last year, he had that mental clock, whether the pocket was there or not. He's, get, he's got limited time back there, two and a half, three seconds. Timer goes off. It's time to roll out of this pocket. And for that's something Mike Bobo is going to have to work on with Bo Nix. How does he get him more comfortable with that? Quick throws, get him in a rhythm, something that Gus Malzahn never did. I mean, if you go back and watch their football season last year, I mean, they're going four wide, three of them are running verts, and somebody's running underneath. And, and it really doesn't make it easy on your quarterback. So if you're Mike Bobo, I think you got to try your best to get Bo Nix comfortable. And this is as bad as that offensive line might be this year. They might have to throw to open up some running lanes for Tank Bigsby, who is no doubt one of the probably top seven running backs in all of college football. But uh, it's tough to do without an offensive line. And if he doesn't have an offensive line, he's not going to finish the year as one of the top seven running backs in college football. So he's got a lot of work to do. Not sure what the answer is because it's just a multifaceted problem on the offensive side of the ball for the Tigers. Lester, I'm hearing also that T.J. Finley also not a great day uh, on Saturday. Like I said, you know, we're not we're not buying too much stock into this. This is the first scrimmage. You know, everybody's going to be rusty. There wasn't a lot of Alabama players that showed out either. We'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes. But, you know, it, a lot of people are saying T.J. Finley's not the answer either. Uh, he didn't look great. He's showing off that big arm, but he's overthrowing guys. He's not accurate with the football. Um, so I'm going to ask you the same question. You've got – an All-American running back in Tank Bigsby. I'd put him as one of the top – I mean, if he's not – I mean, if he's not one – if he's not a top five running back in the country, I'm not really sure. I'd probably put him at two or three at least. Um, but – and I wouldn't be surprised if he's the first running back off the board after next year's draft. But we'll have to wait and see because he can't go pro. He's only a, a true sophomore right now. So, um, well, I'm going to ask you the same question. What, what do you do if you're Mike Bobo? What route do you try to go – to get the ball moving upfield? Um, I think that Mike Bobo needs to go back and watch Steve Spurrier uh, when he was at South Carolina because if your ass wasn't moving the ball, you know what Steve Spurrier's going to do? He's going to yank you out yeah. and put the guy in behind you. He don't care. Perform or we're going to put the next guy in. And you know what? If if he would do like I say and yank Bo for Finley, well, you know what? When Finley gets his screwing up, Put Bo Nix back in there. You you got to do something. They should not come in to this season with a quarterback one and a backup. This is it's an open competition because when both of them are trash, what what you know what's they gonna lose with playing both? Why not Bless. go into the season with the open competition? I don't care who Bo Nix is. I don't care who his daddy is. But if you're Harson you. and your first year your first year on the job. Who cares? You have no ties to these people. You come from all the way from Boise State, but I, I don't know. That's just I don't know. That's that's just me. That's just J- me. J Law, does he? You think he just crumbles if he gets benched? Lester, Lester, yeah. Listen, y'all, they can't bench Bo Nix. He is the savior of the Auburn program. He is the son of Patrick Nix. He Bo Nix beat Bama in Auburn when Bama was missing seven starters. For the football game, Bo Nix led the drive where Shavers or Shivers knocked Xavier McKinney's helmet off. Knocked he can't be missed. He, he became an Auburn legend in his first year as a starter, and he really wasn't that good. Auburn had 
zero scoring drives of more than 55 yards in the game. It's not – listen, Bo Nix, yes, he beat Alabama. That's going to be his claim to fame when he's one and three against Bama. Heck, if COVID didn't cancel last year, he might be one and four against Bama when it's all said and done. But they cannot bench Bo Nix because Bo Nix was crowned. He was like LeBron. He was crowned before he ever got there, but he's not LeBron James. He is more like, to me, very Jeremy Johnson-ish. If, I mean, I haven't seen anything from Bo Nix that would tell me that this guy is a, just a bona fide stud, but they put so much stock in him. They they cannot pull Bo Nix because of who he – they said he is and who his dad is. Just quoting. You are from, who you are. Yeah, and I'm, I'm quoting from uh, from Auburn Undercover. Uh, one, one of the, the tidbits that I sent you all earlier, don't care if I get blasted for this and give me all the downvotes you want, but he, talking about Bo Nix – just comes across an arrogant guy who has been given everything in his life from having his dad as a coach who happens to be a legend at Auburn to right when he signed here being given the starting job. Sorry, not a fan of him and how he treats other players for his mistakes on the field. So he's got some people fired up over there. Um, some, some big time guys, some, some, some of the message board guys, he's got them fired up over there. And, you know, that has a lot to do with what Jay Law's saying. Lester, do you think if he was to get benched that maybe – his ego, just like he can't handle it mentally because I, obviously I don't think he's very mentally tough anyway, to be honest with you. Um, I do think he's he's cocky and arrogant. I think that's obvious. You know, he converts a third down on his own 10-yard line when he's down 42 to 6 in the Iron Bowl last year. And, you know, he he makes a good play and he gets up and signals first down. It's like fourth quarter. It's like five minutes to go in the game or something. So, I mean, it's obvious what his personality is. So do you think if he benches and he just shuts down completely and then if TJ Finley screws up, you can't go back to Bo Nix. He's done. He's washed. He's out. So he's mentally out of it. So Lester, do you think that's something that could play a part in it? If you, if Harson decides to go that Steve Sprayer route that we were talking about earlier? Well, if Bo Nix is a good team. Lester don't give a shit. If he's if he's there for if he's there for his team, he will want what's best for his team, correct? He doesn't if care. That's what we're talking about. The bench, if if he gets benched and Auburn wins because of TJ Finley, Bo Nix, just like Tua and Jalen, Bo Nix should meet that guy hat before he can walk off the field. You think he does shake his and shake his, and shake his name? He should. I if, know, but if, do you think if, he does? Uh, I know you don't know him, no, but just from what no. you've seen, I mean, no, you know, him won't. getting into a fight with Seth Williams on the no. sidelines in the South Carolina game, and and you know just the way he acts and the way he looks with the spiky little in sync hair and and <laughs> yeah, I, I just you know, I mean, hell, dude, we uh, don't even know if the rumor's true that he has a kid or not. I mean, this, this I mean, this dude's got issues. <laughs> I was trying to get into all this. I don't know. I don't know Bo Nix on the sideline. I'm not sure that – does he really treat teammates bad or is he, does he feel like he's holding them accountable? Um, is T.J. Finley better than Bo Nix? No. But T.J. Finley's uh, never has never had a chance to start a football game at Auburn unless Bo Nix has an ultimate collapse, which I don't think Bo Nix will have this year. I think he's actually going to be improved. I just don't think he has any weapons and he has no help outside of Tank. Tank's problem is he has no help outside of Bo Nix. They don't have an offensive line. They don't have any other weapons. I don't think the 
offense, you know, lives and dies with those two guys. But I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not here to question his character or his fatherhood status or anything like that. But I just, I just don't, I don't think Bo Nix is going to take that next step this year. And a lot of it is due to the offensive line and the wide receiver group. I just don't think it's going to allow him to take that next step. And it's not going to allow the Auburn fans to, to buy into him even more because he's losing a lot of ground. I never would have thought that Bo Nix, after what he did his freshman year beating Alabama, would lose ground with the Auburn fan base, but he has. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying that it would work to perfection the way it did last year, but uh, if I'm Mike Bobo, I go look at every single play that Alabama ran in the passing game for Najee Harris whether it was splitting them out, motioning out, whatever it is, a throwback screen like, like the one against Ohio State. Because I think Taint's great at catching the football as well, and I think he can be a weapon. Now, you're not going to have as much success with it because they're going to be keying on him. You know, as good as Najee was, whenever a quarterback drops back to pass, you got to find number six. And, uh, you know, everybody was hunting for the Heisman Trophy winner, and you kind of forget about Najee. Um, and so, especially when you got Mechie out there and all the other weapons that Alabama had, so – I think with Tank, you might not have as much success, but I think that, you know, a lot of your passing game needs to run through number four. And uh, I think if they do that, then that'd be a, a smart route to go. But moving over to Tuscaloosa, they held a scrimmage, their first scrimmage as well. Offensive line troubles for Alabama. Evan Neal, Chris Owens were held out of the scrimmage, and then Kendall Randolph uh, rolled his ankle up early in the scrimmage. So, you know, Randolph had been starting at that right guard position I believe but uh so you were down three starters um on the offensive line we're talking about some low completion percentages for both Bryce Young and Paul Tyson um I don't know if that was drops or bad throws but uh you know I'm sure it was you know attributed to those offensive linemen being out and you got Will Anderson and Chris Allen bringing it down your neck it's not easy and I think a lot of quarterbacks will have that issue this year but um J-Law tell me offensively, um, who do you think uh, – and, and, you know, the scrimmage, you know, you, you saw the video. You're talking about Javon Baker's, you know, nice catch that he had on Kool-Aid. Um, just tell me what you think the offense is going to look like as a whole. Do you think it's going to be more spread stuff, more power, some maybe double tight sets with Billingsley and Latu in there? Um, or do you think it's, you know, going to be more of an – not an air raid type, but maybe a 60-40 pass-to-run ratio? How do you think this offense is going to look under first-year offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien? Uh, I think it's going to look like they're going to take advantage of what's working. I know a lot of people thought last year Najee Harris is coming back and you lost Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, so you're going to pound the football and pound the football well. I quickly learned that Devontae Smith was the real deal and he wasn't getting yards and touchdowns the prior years because he was playing with Rose and Judy because he was really good. So, you know, the offense evolves over time. I do think the depth that Alabama has at running back will make things very, very easy for Bryce Young early on. And going back to the scrimmages, when you're missing Randolph, when you're missing Owens, when you're missing Evan Neal, and I don't think Owens and Neal are actually hurt. I know Randolph is kind of banged up at right tackle, so we'll see. But when you when you have that defensive line with Mathis and and uh, Tim Smith and your two ends and Anderson and Chris Allen, like that that's tough to deal with. So you can expect you know a, a 
63, 64% day out of a guy like Bryce Young on that. But I, I just think this offense is going to come out. I think they're going to try to run the football against Miami. I think they're really focused on getting the new guys on the offensive line ready to go. And then as this offense evolves, when you start figuring out what works, doesn't work, you're crossing stuff out of the playbook, you're adding a few more things. I think this wide receiving group can really step up with, with Mechie. I know a lot of people love Slade Bolden. I think some of those freshman receivers are really going to push him early uh, for playing time. Obviously, Xavier Williams uh, not even, not on the roster right now due to some health concerns of some sort that Nick Saban wouldn't release. So you have JoJo Earl who caught a touchdown pass, which I think should excite a lot of people. Uh, Ja'Cory Brooks and Ajayi Hall, people still really excited about them, and you're not even talking about Christian Leary yet. So I just think this offense is going to rely on the run early not because they have to, because it's going to make things a little easier for the young guys to get used to game speed. And then as we go throughout the year, you'll see it evolve into, I think, balance. And what does Nick Saban say balance is? is run when you want to, pass when you want to, and be successful at both whenever you need to. I think this is still going to be very balanced. I think Alabama's going to do a lot of stuff at will this year, kind of like last year, but obviously not as successful. Lester, let's go ahead and talk about it now because I think I caught some flack in the uh, Gunprunters group text earlier. Where do we stand on Slade Bolden? We're all, we're all three. We're going to go ahead and get this on the table. Let's yep. start with you. Where do we stand on Slade Bolden? Number one, uh, as a receiver, because, you know, you can have different feelings on different positions. Number one, as a receiver, more, more than likely in the slot. He's not going to be an outside receiver. He's going to play in the slot. Um, most of the time matched up on a, a money guy, a star guy, or an outside linebacker. And how do you feel about him on special teams as a return guy? All right. Put the best guy on the field, whether it's Slate, um, me, you, Taylor. I'm better than Slate. I'm better than Slate. Put the best freaking guy on the field. And I swear – if Slade drops a punt and points up at the sun that God himself hung, I'm going to lose my shit wherever I'm at. I don't care where it is. I, look, you can't – you just can't do that. Just just don't mess up. Do, what does Nick Saban say? This is Nick Saban. This is, this is Nick Saban. Nick Saban says, do your job, and whether it's punting, blocking, catching the ball – just do your job. That's all I want for Slate to do. Just do your job, bro. That's it. That's it. Yeah, don't I, don't blame the sun when you freaking drop a punt. Don't do that. And that's referring to the A Day game where he uh, where he dropped the ball and then he did point up at the sun and he was laughing and smiling. I'm like, buddy, I, I, I'm serious about it. Me, I, I think Slade. I, I'm. I don't like him as a punt returner. I'm going to tell you. I know he's bad there because he's Mr. Sure Hands or whatever stereotypical name you want to give to the, the white receiver at the SEC level or whatever. Um, so I, I know he's sure-handed, but you better be really sure-handed. And, you know, last year I, I was with that offense. We could have gotten the ball on the one-yard line every time, and we would all sit there and look at each other and be like, yeah, we're going to score on this drive. There's no doubt in my mind. Every time we got the ball. I mean, who, who, we were talking about it the other day. You, you know, we were talking about, dude, whenever we threw an incompletion last year, we got pissed. Like, it was the most yeah, like, what, year. What's going on? What are we doing? Why are we throwing the ball in the dirt? What, what's going on? 
Why is the guy not 15 yards behind the defense? What are you doing, Sark? Like, do we need to find somebody else? <laughs> That's so, exactly right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, with this offense, we don't have that type of confidence. And I think the talent is there, sure. But I think it's going to take him a while to gel. I think you circle that. I don't think they're going to have issues with Miami. Um, I don't think they cover 18 and a half points. But, you know, we'll talk about that during game week. Um but, uh, you know, that third game of the year down in the swamp, and I don't think Florida's offense is anything special. Emory Jones sure doesn't scare you, especially when you have a, a caliber defense like Alabama does. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't mind getting a little more out of their return game as far as kickoffs and punt returns go. And if you've got a guy that's sure-handed back there, that's fine with me. But, you know, if I've got a guy that's also sure-handed, but he can make three people miss and give me 15, 20 yards on a punt return, I'd rather have that. Um, and I understand, you know, it, it's it's tough throwing a freshman back there, whether it's Kool-Aid or JoJo Earl, Christian Leary. Those would be my top three freshmen that I'd throw back there because um, I think Ja'Cory Brooks and, and Ajayi Hall actually see time with the, you know, with the starting offense first. Uh, JoJo might, might have something to do with that later on in the season. But, uh, you know, he came in late. So, you know, but, I mean, there's so many guys. There's so, You just think about all the four- and five-star skill players that Alabama has on the roster. And I look at Slade Bolden, and I'm like, dude, I'm like Lester. I'm like Lester. Lester's a good point. If he, if he drops one, if he doesn't give us a chance, if, all, if, all his, if he's averaging three yards of punt return and he drops a punt in a big game situation, I'm going to be hot. Uh, if you drop it against Mercer, whatever. Still not going to like it. But um, as a receiver, I think he'll fare fine. I, I don't think that uh, that he's going to be asked to do too much. It's not like I think he's going to be the number two guy. I don't think he will be. I think he'll be a third or fourth option on just about every play, except maybe the RPO game. Um, but uh, I don't mind him as a receiver. J-Law, tell me where you stand on Slade Bolden before we move on. Well, he can't. What do you have? He lost two fumbles last year. He immediately came yes. in the Tennessee game yes. and fumbled. That, that's just something that I can't have. I don't dislike Slade. I think, you know, I think a lot of people like Slade. They wish Slade well, but he had the biggest opportunity that he that he had his best chance last year when Waddle got hurt to be, you know, really honestly, to be probably right there with John Mechie, the same way that they used you know, Waddle and Devontae as 1A, 1B early on in the year. Like, he had all the chances yeah. in the world. He just did. is, like, that Tennessee game, didn't he have, like, six for 71 or something like that? I mean, he was a, he was a go-to guy in that game after Jalen went down the opening kickoff. Yeah, and but after that game, they quickly found that, you know, 19 could play. And Slade Bolden went from being the number three option to the number four option. And then we ran two tight ends – so much later on in the year with 19 and Miller Forrestall. And Najee. That you, you, and Najee throwing the ball to him. Like, you yeah. really didn't have a need for Slade Bolden. So, that surprised me because Slade was actually getting a lot of snaps before Jalen Waddle got hurt. But when it came time for him to be the guy that had to catch the football, um, he kind of disappeared. If he's one of the best three receivers, four receivers, I hope he's on the field because we need our best players on the field. Punt return-wise, guys, he's not going to be an outstanding punt returner. He might catch every single punt, and he might average five yards of return. But if you think about non-offensive touchdowns and what Nick Saban has done on special teams from a kick return standpoint, because let's not bring up the field goals, 
But if you talk about the the kick returns from the Eddie Jacksons, the Javi Serenas, Marquise Mays had a couple touchdowns. Um, I mean, Jalen Waddle obviously electric before he got hurt. And then Devontae Smith stepping right in. I mean, Alabama's been electric in the kick return game, punt return game. I don't know if Saban will throw a guy out there that really doesn't have a, a chance to change the game in a punt return uh, aspect. I, I think you could easily see uh, one of these more electric guys returning kicks. And I think it's a risk-reward thing. Yeah, you know, Kool-Aid might drop one or JoJo might drop one. But, man, this guy might have four kick return touchdowns and it could happen against Florida in the swamp when we were in a tight game on the road. I just, you know, I, when I think about punt returns, I think about that Jalen Waddle return against LSU in 2019. Alabama lost the game, but gosh, if that play doesn't happen and Alabama does not score on that drive, you ain't stopping LSU. They had all those linebackers, all those players out and everybody, and, and they just, you weren't stopping them. That play right there changes, you know, being at home, you know, he gets dragged down by his face mask, spins off of it somehow, and then you know, ends up scoring a touchdown. If that's Slade Bolden, that ball's fair caught. You know what I'm saying? I think about plays like that. So if you got somebody that's as equally sure-handed um, with, you know, a better chance of getting some yardage on the return, I'd rather have that. But, Jayla, how about this? I just looked this up. Last year's reception leaders, you had Devonta with 117. Seconds, John Mechie, you probably figured that, with 55, you know, 45% of Devonta's production. And then, you know, third was Najee with 43 receptions. I didn't realize that. And then you had Jalen Waddle with 28. Um, and then Slade was fourth with 24. He actually caught more balls than Jaleel Billingsley. If you'd have asked me that and I, had not, I did not have the stats right here, I would not believe that. But um, Jaleel only had 18 catches last year. Um, he had 16 yards of reception, and he scored three touchdowns. But – Anyway, okay, moving on to the, the defensive side of the ball for Alabama. Lester, um, we, we've said this for weeks. We're going to continue to say it. Uh, defense is going to be an issue, you know, for, for, for opposing teams. Alabama's defense is a problem, and I'm calling it on, on paper. I think this has got 2016 defense written all over it. I understand that they did not win the national championship that year. They got beat by Clemson. Deshaun pitched them apart. I understand that, but personnel-wise, I think that might have been borderline better than 2011. You know, 2011 was more inside the box. And then, uh, you know, 2016, as far as a spread defense goes, I think that might be the best spread defense we've seen in the last eight years or, you know, however long the spread has been prevalent in college football. Um, I think this defense has a chance to be just as good, if not better than that. Uh, Nick Saban's talking about they've got seven or eight guys rotating on the interior defensive line. Your bookends, um, Anderson and Allen, are the best in the country, according to Phil Steele. Your inside linebackers are the best in the country, according to Phil Steele. You've got Josh Shobe. You've got Jordan Battle. You've got Malachi Moore, Brian Branch. You've got studs in the secondary. Lester, just add on to that at how good you think this defense can be. Or do you think – are you on the, the negative Pete Golding train where you think they might be held back by somebody like Pete Golding? Tell me where you stand on what the defense is going to do this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Defense is going to be uh, nasty. And I want to talk about uh, Henry T for a second. Um, of course, you know, coming in, five-star linebacker and went to Tennessee. His dad came out and said that uh, he should have went to Alabama um, anyway. But the way that 
the team is talking about this guy is like he's a bona fide leader too. He's not just stud linebacker. This guy is a leader, and I feel like on top of being a great player, being a leader is just as much or even more important. You know, somebody who can rally the guys or lead by example or speak up and talk, that is just as important. Yeah, especially right there in the middle. Especially right there in the middle. And I think when when there have been some – some of Saban's lesser defenses, leadership has always been an issue. It's not necessarily a talent issue per se, but a leadership issue. So for, you know, guys coming out saying that this guy, he's stepping up, he's been the leader. I love that. And knowing that there's a bona fide leader on that defense makes him that much more deadly. Not being too deep, mm-hmm. which is great. Not being full of five stars, which is awesome. But a guy, bona fide stud, leading that that two deep group, that group of five stars, that's dangerous, man. Yeah, Jay, I'll expand on that a little bit. What Lester's talking about with the leadership aspect from Henry T, because you don't see that a lot out of transfers, and that's what Pete Golding was talking about in his media appearance the other day. Is that it, it's rare for a guy to come in. I don't remember exactly when he came in, but he hadn't been here. I mean, was. Four months? Beginning of summer, man. End yeah. of May. Three months? Yeah. And, and this dude is already, you know, being the vocal leader of the team. He's leading in drills. I mean, it's, it's, it's not – it's a rarity for a guy to come in and just kind of not take over the team, but, I mean, to kind of be the dog. And we know how good he is, but, you know, from a, from a teammate perspective, from a locker room perspective, whenever you're new to the group, I, I mean – is, is this a surprise for you, or, or do you see somebody like Henry T? Or like, you know, they said that's who he is, but still, it's got to be somewhat of a surprise, right? I think it's just built into that uh, Samoan uh, Polynesian culture, like that, like the Tuas of the world, and um, even the Manti Teos of the world. No, that was that's a weird guy, but still, it's just built into that culture. Those. People from that background, man, they're able to come in. And I don't think it's just all about how good they are at football. It's about their likability. It's about probably how they respect other people and how they come into the locker room. And it's about a work ethic for them. And it's a, it is a, that's probably how it is for most of the players at Alabama. They respect work ethic from each other because they're all competing. But you got guys like Tua and Henry T that they can come in and just people gravitate towards them. And I thought Henry Toto coming out of high school was one of those guys um, as well. He should have picked Alabama out of high school. Uh, I think he would have been in uh, Chris Harris's class as well. So, you know, those two middle linebackers know each other, both top 100 recruits coming out of high school to play that position. Um, you know, I, I, I think this defense, we were texting the other day, and I texted y'all, like, we're so loaded at receiver, and then you just start reeling off everybody on defense. I mean, when he's talk- when Saban's talking about rotating – eight, seven, eight, nine guys on the defensive line. You talk about um, uh, Chris Allen and and Will Anderson, but you're still not even talking about the other guys that still are good at go getting the quarterback. I mean, you got uh, what Braswell's still there. Drew Sanders is still there. Those are some guys that people forget about. They're on the roster, and they're going to make an impact this year when they need to. And this those, those defensive backs, you know, people keep telling us about these Auburn DBs and these Auburn DBs and, 
I was a guest on a radio show. I think last week, and they were saying that you know Alabama loses Patrick Sertan, they're going to be a little weaker on defense. And I'm like, are y'all the same guys telling me that this Auburn defensive backfield is going to be so good? And we can sit here and reel off all of these household names that are in this Alabama um, defensive backfield. I mean, you're talking Josh Job, Kool-Aid McKinstry, certified dog straight out of high school. Malachi Moore, if he's not hurt, plays or plays in every game and almost starts the last eight games for Alabama. Brian Branch comes in. He's an absolute dog. DeMarco Hellams, Jordan Battle. Um, Daniel Wright. I mean, dude, those are, that is that's maybe one of the best secondaries in all of college football. And uh, you know, I, we were all on the hate Pete Golding train, um, especially early last year when he couldn't get a stop and Stetson Bennis lit uh, lit us up for the first thirty minutes of the Georgia game. But ever really since that second half of Georgia, if you take out the uh, the Florida game where Cal Trask and Dan Mullen did what they did to almost everybody else. I mean, dude, Pete Golden had that defense humming, and I think he knows he's got a lot of toys to play with this year, and I think that you could roll Lester out there, and this defense might give up sub-25 a game. Why did why does Henry T go to Tennessee? You think he took the McDonald's bags? And here's another question. Let me back it up with this. Everybody knows about Alabama's injury situation at linebacker in 2019. He was in Chris Harris's class. Alabama was forced to start Christian Harris and Shane Lee at middle linebacker. If Henry T is there, does Alabama make the playoff? You've got to get like one stop against Auburn, and I think you're in. I don't you think you beat one LSU stop against LSU. Yeah, you maybe. One stop against LSU. That's, yeah, that's debatable. Two still screwed us in that game with the fumble on the eight yard line and the interception right before half. Um, but anyway, uh, you know. But definitely the Auburn game. Uh, do you think if Henry T, because he started for Tennessee as a freshman, right? All SEC, and I think of yeah, uh, freshman All American for so, all college football. If that dude yeah, is at Alabama a, starting, does Alabama make the playoff? Yeah, well, one hundred percent. They were they were pretty. Yeah. If they beat Auburn that year. They're in. I mean, that was it was happening. So, uh, you know, you live in you. Thank you God. live and die sometimes. Yeah, I think I agree. And, you know, you hate – of course, we're glad we have him now. But it also pisses you off because the spoiled Bammers over here, you know, that's the only re- that's the only year they haven't made the playoff. And, you know, if we had Henry T, maybe that changes. And you get Mac, you give Mac Jones a shot at LSU. Who knows, man? Matt was going to let it go, you know, a lot of times with the wrong guy that year. But – Anyway, all right, uh, finishing up, finishing up, guys. Uh, you know, we talked scrimmages. We talked Alabama-Auburn. Um, I, I wanted to pose this question to you all. I'll start with Lester. Um, Lester, with, with, the, with the NIL here to stay, uh, it might be adjusted. You might um, see it tweaked a little bit here and there. But players are going to be able to make money off their name, image, and likeness forever. And I agree with it. I agree there needs to be some – is, you know, some limitations like we talked about, you know, before, I don't know what, but the challenges of keeping stud backups on the roster, does that change with this NIL? For example, you've got a guy like Christian Story, change positions, he's playing safety at Alabama, um, even somebody like Kool-Aid. I mean, think about all the pampering that Kool-Aid got on his visits or whatever, and 
you know, more than likely he's not going to play this year. Now he might, sure. Uh, Saban, you know, there, there's competition there, but more than likely he's not going to start this year. And, you know, he's like, Hey, I'm making, I'm making some money here as a backup because you know, my name and all this jazz, but I could go to, I don't know, um, Florida. I could go to Florida, make a hell of a lot more money immediately on my name, image, and likeness. Do you think that's going to have some, you, you think that's going to take some kind of toll on the roster and you think it's going to be a new challenge presented to coach Saban and staff on keeping those stud backups around? No, not at all. Uh, I don't think so. And if it is that way, fine. We'll go find the defensive back version of Henry T or the defensive line version of Henry T. Who's the next guy out there? Surely Bama can offer more than, you know, wherever else those other guys are playing at. So if 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 they want to leave over some money, if they don't want to win, that's fine. I don't view that as a challenge for Saban. Hell, Saban may want to keep the hell out of some of these guys off campus. He can bring in some of these studs anyway. So, you know, oh, I, 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 I want to view it as a negative. But, you know, the game is the game. If that's how they want to play it. I mean, the transfer portal kind of already opened up that door in the first place. It did. So, yeah. you know, I, you know. I don't. I don't view it as a problem if it does happen. Jayla, do you think it could it could be a potential issue as far as uh, you know, keeping some of these four and five stars in backup roles for a couple of years, maybe? Um, I don't know. I think once you get them on campus, you're going to be safe outside of your normal transfers. But I do think that because you can make money off your name, it is way more beneficial to go to a place. A bigger place, like if you're, you know, in, if your top three choices are Alabama, LSU, and Auburn, and you know you're a defensive back and the defensive backfields are stacked, but you can go to Auburn and start immediately, you can go ahead and start building up your name. So if your name has credibility, the faster your name has credibility, the faster that you can make money, whether that's doing a $100 Bojangles ad like players from both teams are, doing something big like Bryce Young. Um, I think that's going to become a big key because players are going to want to go ahead and get in the spotlight to make sure that their name is out there where they can make some money. Uh, I was very surprised this week with the NIL stuff. I don't know if you guys saw the BYU story where like all of their walk-ons got their tuition or something taken care of. So they're essentially, it's not full cost of attendance, which we know is way more than just tuition. That's room, board, meals, et cetera. But, you know, they, they essentially have an unlimited roster because they'll have a company that will pay tuition for any walk-on at BYU. That's what's going to change the game. And yeah, eventually, awesome. I, think, I think the scholarships are going away. I think that these universities are going to be smart enough to say, there's no reason to scholarship because if we can avoid scholarshiping football players, that means there's 100 other scholarships that we don't have to renew in sports that lose money, like women's sports. So if they could find boosters to make sure all the kids um, get their tuition and their cost of attendance paid for, especially the big boys, and you don't even have to give them a scholarship, these universities are about to be rolling in a lot more money. You're going to see them canceling sports that don't make any money. This is going to get crazy. Hey, I saw that scenario that you exactly just say it play out, but they were talking about that regarding baseball. This is what we have 11.7 or some dump. Right, right, right. But if they can find a, a booster or somebody to pay for 25 
Hell, don't even pay for 25. Just pay for 10, 15. That way we can get, you know, 10, 15 guys or studs who, you know, don't really need the scholarship. Then you can give that 11.7 to whoever else you want to. I mean, I feel like that will be really, really beneficial in that way. I think roster limits are on the way. This It's going to start happening. And I'm not saying that college football is going to get down to a mandated 52-man roster like the NFL. But if these companies, if you're um, Tim Cook or whoever, whatever the guy's name at Apple is, and you're like, okay, I'm a big Auburn guy. I can, I can give 30 guys, 30 top recruits that Auburn couldn't put in their class anyways and I can get them on the planes and pay for all their stuff, and they're still on the football team, and they'll just have 160 guys dressed for a game or whatever. I mean, I think roster limits are going to have to come into play because of uh, things like this. It's just going to get crazy. But the baseball thing is interesting, Lester, because Alabama and Auburn are at a massive disadvantage when it comes to schools in Georgia or Mississippi where the lottery helps fund scholarships so they can actually have more players that don't count towards their scholarship limit that are actually good. So I think that the NIL can actually help Alabama and Auburn uh, get better in baseball because they're at such a disadvantage with every state that borders them. Does the, uh, does the scholarship limit, what, what number does it go to? I don't think it's going to be 53 like the NFL, but, you know, it's at 85 right now. It's the scholarship limit. Do you see it around 65, 70? Do you think it goes up to maybe around 100? Uh, I don't I don't know because I I think I think it stays the same because I don't know. Because with the other situation, we're talking about we're talking about walk-ons. So not really guys that are just gonna come in and like be impactful on your team. Because you're not going to find a Levi Wallace, you know, every stinking year. I don't. But the walk scholarship is a whole other issue. The walk-ons are the the door opener to and everybody wants all these rules to change because they think their teams can't compete with Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and uh, Ohio State on the recruiting trail. But all these things they're doing are only going to help those schools even more. Nick, care are you? Just think about the 70s. Bear Bryant would sign 60 guys, and they were all straight dogs back in the day. Imagine Nick Saban. He doesn't have to pick between um, the guy from California or the guy from in-state that might be good. He'll just take both of them. There's no risk. You're not wasting a scholarship because somebody else is paying for them. You can do whatever you want with the scholarship limit at this point. If there's not a roster limit and you start opening this up to where businesses and, and boosters can pay for kids to go to school and play football there, you can do whatever the hell you want to. You can have as many guys and recruit as many guys as you want. So when you're sending out those 200 committable offers at the beginning of summertime, like all these schools do, you can take all of them if you have people that will pay for them. It's borderline scary. It really is. Uh, just to think how big this could get and all the loopholes that people are going to have. Yeah, they're they're gonna find stuff. I mean, I'm I'm sure some of these bigger universities have hired have hired people to find loopholes and you know find a way to get advantages, uh, and, and out scheme everybody else. But uh, you know, as far as going back to the the question I asked about the keeping keeping the backups on the roster with the NIL and everything, you know, you just you hope that you, you hope that they they 
trust the process, so to speak. You hope that Nick Saban can find some character guys out of high school because you, you, you think of all the guys that didn't start their freshman years in Alabama, didn't start their sophomore years, and could have walked, you know, grinding through two years of a Nick Saban fall camp and Nick Saban spring and summer and all that stuff. And it's not easy. You know, you hear every year when the, the, the new guys that got drafted go to the NFL, they're like, man, this is so much easier than college. You've heard that for a decade now. And so, uh, you know, you, you just you just hope that these guys like, like Reggie Raglan and, um, and these guys that really stuck it out and, and didn't end up playing until their junior, senior year and, you know, ended up going on and getting drafted high in the NFL draft. You just hope that they have enough character and, and Nick Saban can see that to, to trust the process and not go try to chase the money, so to speak. You know, as your sophomore year, if you're not starting, hey, I'm not starting here, but I can go to Auburn. And uh, and start there and make make more money off my name, but you know we'll just we'll see we'll see what happens. There's there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that could potentially happen with this NIL. We've said that before. We'll say it again. So you know we'll give it two years and then we'll try to come back to it. But boys, anything else y'all want to add before we get out of here? I got one one more thing. Bring it on. Who who is who who are the Bryce Young sponsors? Because when Sailor came out and said, you know, nearly a million, you know, sponsorships or whatever, I'm just curious who those people are. Thornton Builders, if, or LLC. or or if there are any, or if there are any businesses as well. I'm not asking for a private person to tell them that they gave some poor kid a hundred thousand dollars or you know whatever. But uh, I'm just I'm just curious. So what? Shayla's boss. Oh. Huge Alabama. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I mean, dude, I don't know. He's he's keeping it pretty close to the vest because you know, right? Rice, right. you know, mysteriously gets back on Twitter. Like, hey guys, I'm back. Well, like, we know why you're back. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he hasn't. A, a lot of these guys are taking these deals where you know you have to promote on social media. Rice hasn't been doing any of that, so I guess. All right, that's what's got me it's, curious. It's got to be bigger than that, right, Jay? I think it is bigger. Yeah, because. Yeah. Uh, DJ Uagalele is, you know, he is in the Dr. Pepper college football playoff commercials now. Like, that's Matt. That, that's huge. He's Dr. Pepper. So, there's no telling what Bryce has, and it could be anything from signing a deal for Bose headphones, Beats. You, you don't ever know. So, I, I, I do believe that he's probably close to a, a million dollars, and some of that probably is booster money, and some of that is maybe go showing up to – Asian sushi or whatever AJ McCarran sushi restaurant is at Tuscaloosa or something. But I think you, I think when you get closer to game days and you'll, and when you, when things start heating up, you'll start seeing Bryce's Twitter and Instagram feeds start promoting some bigger products. Or maybe yep. it's like a pregame thing. Like you're talking about with the beach, you know, he's, he's, he's throwing on the field and, you know, camera rolls by and he just like points to the headphones, you know, beats, Hey, yeah. you know, some, some, <laughs> Get these beats yeah. by Dre. Get, get these beats. Go get them. I'm sponsored by Bryce Young, whatever it is. But all right. Les, there anything else? You good? I'm good, my guy. All right, JL, we appreciate you hopping on here. Um, don't know if we'll do another one this week. Maybe, maybe not. Not sure. But uh, until next time, episode 39, Gunpreneur's Podcast, Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law. We're out of here. See y'all.